Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. I've actually had a really encouraging weekend. Saturday night was great. A bunch of us were in uh, Wigan for the launch of Enable. What a precious thing that was. And we're so, we are, we're so excited for you, John, and all that God's going to do through that. And I think it might be one of those cheeky ministries that surprises us all. Just with the fruit and the blessing and the favour, it's going to be really great. And then, as I say, on, on Sunday, I was able to be in my home church, so... Ivy in the morning, and then in the evening, in this room, uh, Ivy held their, held their, what Anthony calls, annual gratitude meeting. And it was such a good time. And the thing I loved particularly, there were two things that I, um, I was challenged afresh about. And I think so much of Ivy's growth and impact has been born on generosity. You know, this church gives away 25% or 24% to start with. So they gave away... £200,000 to missions, and we were one of the beneficiaries. But then regularly, Anthony would just say, we're going to give away all the offering this morning and throughout the year. And um, on top of all this, you know, 24%, which is a big chunk of your giving as a church, isn't it, to give away, Anthony went up to Audacious Church and uh, went to their partner's evening and put a pledge in for £20,000 towards their building. I thought you love that spirit within churches in the city. And, and I know he went to, to our friend Isaac Sally and made a pledge towards his building project and to, to Battelle and a pledge towards their building project to just say, there's only one church in Manchester. It's not about my budget or your budget, isn't that? And I was provoked again about just give us more of that generosity that I think gets the attention of God. And his, but Anthony's talk was basically... Yeah, we've got, you know, £1.2 million budget as a church. We, we do count that. We count the fact we've seen 241 decisions for Christ recently and we've had this many baptisms and we count the numbers, you know, that's happening and it's all good. But there's only one number that really counts and that's number one. That we're all one in Christ and he's our one saviour and our one Lord and there's one church in the city and, you know, and all that. Don't you like that? Because really out of that, that unity, there's only... You know, are that us being in this thing together, quickly overcoming any difficulties and challenges and chips, because we can't afford it. Because we're one in Christ, aren't we? And there's one gospel that works, and, uh, and that's why it's relevant that we're, uh, we're looking into the, uh, the letter to the Galatians. So turn to Galatians chapter 1 if you've got a Bible. If you remember last week... Um, I was sharing, we started chugging our way through this letter and Paul was basically wanting to make the point right at the start of this letter that number one, he is an apostle, an authentic, full-on, foundational, capital A apostle. So, to be honest, because I've been commissioned by Jesus Christ and God the Father, you better listen to me. And firstly, I'm an apostle. Secondly, I've got a great gospel. That's summed up in three words. Grace, it's all about grace. It's grace first. It's undeserved. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. And it's a gospel of peace. Peace with God and peace with our fellow man and, and peace in our hearts as a result. But it's also, there's a third word, it's a rescue mission. We're on a rescue mission to bring that gospel of grace and peace to all people. Paul, you see, had tried the rules stuff Big time. 
You know, he'd been a Pharisee of Pharisees. He'd tried jumping through all the hoops to try and please God, and it just hadn't done it. He'd ended up a chipped up, angry, religious man, desperately trying to please God. And the more he tried to please him, the further away he got from God's beautiful gospel of grace and peace. And uh, so every other letter of Paul starts off, you know, as letters did in the in ancient times, you know, a letter from Paul, or there's quite a few actually that, interestingly, are letters from Paul and Timothy. There's even letters from Paul, Timothy, and Silas. You read it, you didn't know that, did you? We all, Paul gets all the credit. And I remember saying to, I remember saying that once at the message trust, you know, it must have been quite hard to be Timothy or Silas. You know, we, Timothy might have written 50% of these letters. And everyone says, it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And Timothy's like, excuse me, what about me? You know, I wrote some of this letter and I never get any of the credit. And Silas, who's he, you know? But actually, it'll all come out on the final day, firstly. And I said, I remember saying in one of these Tuesday mornings, it must have been hard to be Timothy. And somebody came up to me and said, I really do want to be your Timothy. I really don't mind who gets the credit for this thing. And if people say it's Andy Hawthorne's ministry, the message, which it is so not, I don't mind. I just want to play my part. Imagine if we really meant that. Imagine if we really didn't care who got the credit. If it was just water off a duck's back, as long as Jesus gets the credit, yeah? Anyway, so he starts his letter off, Paul is Paul, and I'm writing to you. And normally, in, in polite society at that point, you would then say a few nice things about the people. You know, you would have a few gracious greetings. And every other one of Paul's letters starts off, with a prayer for them and praise for some of the good stuff they've been involved in, a greeting. But Galatians, no praise, no thanksgiving, no prayer. He just kicks the door in and storms into their front room and lets them have it with both barrels. He goes straight in with this. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we say, we have already said, sorry, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men or God? If we're trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, I can imagine the Galatians when the scroll arrived from Pastor Paul, the founder of their church, you know, the man who'd had such an impact on them and and led them to Christ. And they must have thought, oh, lovely, a letter from Pastor Paul. And then, oh, (laughs) come on, calm down, Paul. You know, we're just having a go at serving Jesus. We've still got a church going on. And in fact, there's a bunch of churches around Galatia now. But no, Paul wasn't going to calm down. He was literally apoplectic. He said, I'm astonished that you're transferring your allegiance, literally. It's used of soldiers who, turncoats, who desert or revolt. And Paul's saying in Galatia, there are some religious turncoats and spiritual 
deserters, just when the church needed all hands on deck with a gospel of free grace, they're deserting back to the old, boring, useless army of rules and regulations. Here's how a couple of thousand years later, that boy John Stott described the gospel. The true gospel in its essence is the gospel of free grace. The gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20, 24. It's the good news of a God who's gracious towards undeserving sinners. In grace, he gave his son to die for us. In grace, he calls us to himself. In grace, he justifies us when we believe. All is from God. Nothing is due to our efforts, merits, or works. Everything in salvation is due to the grace of God. Can I hear a hallelujah this morning? No, can I hear a hallelujah this morning? Oh, it's not our gospel, it's his gospel, and it's a gospel that works. See, the Judaizers had infiltrated this glorious message. Yes, you can believe in Jesus, but you must also jump through some religious hoops. You must also do this, this, and this. If you like, Moses must finish the work that Jesus did on the cross. Paul literally calls them agitators. It's a message that in some ways, to be honest, does tickle our fancy as human beings. We like to think, you know, often as proud human beings. We like to think we need to play our part in our salvation. We need to do our bit. We need to get our bit of credit. Can't it just be 99% Jesus and 1% my efforts? No, it can't. It's all grace. Hallmark of every other religion and false cult is do stuff, isn't it? Do, do, do. When we're all about what? Done. We're all about done. Your sins are forgiven. Done. You're made perfect because of what Christ did on the cross. Done. You're fit for heaven. Let me try and explain it like this by this picture. You got that picture there, Daniel? Oh, is it coming? Yes, there you go. Okay, so two rings, right? that you can buy. One would cost you five quid on eBay. The other would cost you thousands and thousands of pounds from the high-class jeweller Boodles, our friends. They look very similar, don't they, to be honest, at first look. The trouble is there's, there's something about the one on your right and my left. It's a fake. It's not the real thing. It's a copy. And actually, if you put that ring under close analysis, it doesn't hold up to it. If you put it under pressure, it breaks. Very soon, it'll crack and fall. It's not going to last. You get the point? Where does the boodles ring? The real thing. Created by our friend Jody Wainwright and his wealthy family who support the message. That's going to last. One looks fine. They look similar, but it's a fake. The other one is real. One one put under pressure will break. The other one will last. There's only one gospel and it's a gospel that will last the test of time. Other things look okay at first. Look, they look, why would you want to spend your life on that one? Why would you want to give everything to Christ? Why would you want to sacrifice all, die to yourself? I'll tell you why, because it works. And the other one just cracks and gives way. And sooner or later, it may look all right and shiny now, but sooner or later, a cheap version of the gospel is never going to do it. I remember being on this train not long ago and I was traveling to, to London and I got chatting to this guy 
and uh, said, oh, blah, 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 what do you do? Here's what I do. Oh, yeah, well, I'm actually, I used to be a bank manager, but I gave up my job to go door to door. I'm like, what? You know, door to door salesman from being a highly paid bank manager. No, door to door for the Jehovah's Witnesses. So this man had basically given up his highly paid job. Just his whole life was just knocking on door, door after door after door after door, never quite knowing whether he'd earned his way to heaven. What a terrible place to be, don't you think? I remember going out to this when I was in the business, so before the message, and we used to have this big uh, Asian um, uh, sewing machine place that used to, we used to manufacture these jackets and uh, we'd go up there and drop all our parts off and there'd be like hundreds of rows and rows and all these, um, mainly men actually, sewing in this factory. But then the bell would ring when it was time for prayers, you know, five times a day and everything stopped and they would all roll out the prayer mats towards Mecca and the entire factory would kneel down on the mats and be praying and rocking towards Mecca. And it's quite a spooky thing to happen. And yet I felt so sorry for those men. We're never quite knowing. We're going after the five pillars, the five big rules, but we never quite know whether we've made it. We never quite know whether we've done enough. Well, we've done enough because he's done enough. You know, that's not for us, is it? For us, it's not rules and regulations and good works to try and make us fit for heaven. He's made us fit for heaven. And of course, it's why the thief on the cross is such a key story for us. This man who'd done nothing to earn his way to salvation. Somebody who was thoroughly unfit for heaven. But he turned to Jesus, the only one that can get you right for heaven. And today you'll be with me in paradise. And when you get there, you're going to be really, really surprised, I believe, who's there. And you're going to be like, what did you do to deserve being here? And the answer is nothing. He did it all. And you're going to be like, I'm telling you, some people in this room, I believe you'll be like, Auntie Maud, I didn't even know you were a Christian. And Auntie Maud will go, yeah, on my deathbed, I reached out to Jesus or some chaplain or some vicar came around and I, I prayed this little prayer of commitment and faith rose in my heart. And actually, it was because you were praying. But, but I didn't think my prayers were answered, Auntie Maud. And you're going to be like, and, and you've not done anything to deserve being here. I know it's all about grace. It's all about what he did on the cross. But you're also going to be surprised on that final day, I believe, by some people who aren't there. There's going to be preachers and treasurers and all kind of bastions of the church who try to get there through their own efforts. If I can just serve this way and serve that way and do this and do that, maybe I could be made right with God. No, you can't. No amount of rapping for Jesus is going to get you to heaven. Especially the kind of rapping I did. <laughs> That's going to send you straight to hell. No amount of preaching at the front. No matter setting up ministries, no matter big visions and big dreams and ambitious projects, that's not going to get you to heaven. That's just an outworking of what? That's because you've been gripped by grace and peace and you realise it's a rescue mission and what else would you want to do with your life when you realise the extravagant grace of God? You know, imagine living in a house and maybe some people in this room have lived in a house like this where, there's, where you, your parents are like, 
put you under such pressure and you never feel accepted unless you keep the place spotless and you, unless you live by their rules. That's a horrible place to live, isn't it? You never quite know if you're accepted. But I tell you what's also a horrible place to live. A place where, and I bet some people at some point in your life have lived in this kind of house too, where you know you're accepted, you know you're loved, you know you're a son or a daughter, but you throw it right back in their face. face. You just completely abuse the love of your parents. You don't want to be like that, do you? No, we're people who are accepted. We're in the family because we've accepted what Christ did on the cross. We've put our faith in him. We realise it's all about grace and there's nothing we could do to earn our salvation. And so in light of that, we're going to live in God's house by God's rules. And the rules are burdensome. They're a joy to us. You with me? That's why it's so flipping important to Paul. Why we need to be very careful how we run our discipleship groups or on Eden or our higher follow up courses or our message academy or advanced groups. You know, wherever we have the opportunity to invest in others, it's a fearful thing. And we want to share with them the real gospel, don't we? We want to pass it's an awesome responsibility and a privilege, but it's so important that we preach the true gospel. Yes, of course we preach sin and repentance and judgment, but it's grace first. You see, the greatest enemies of the church are not those outside who oppose and ridicule us. They can't do anything. And in fact, the more you oppose and ridicule the church, the more it flourishes, actually. Look at it around the world. The greatest enemies of the church are those inside who try to change the gospel. And Paul knew that. You know, the infiltrators who get in. And there were two big reasons, key reasons, why Paul uses such drastic language in Galatians. Two reasons. Actually, it struck me as I was thinking about this, the two very reasons the message exists. The two reasons, this, not just this organisation, but every Christian organisation. The two reasons are, one, the glory of Jesus Christ is at stake. That is our prime motivation for setting up the message. I hope you join the message because you are hot about the glory of Jesus. You couldn't stand it that Jesus wasn't getting the glory he deserves in schools and prisons and communities. There was something in your heart. That's why I want to, when there's so many things I could do, I want to work for an organisation that's obsessed with his glory. It's the first reason you set up something like the message. The glory of Christ is at stake. And to make man's work necessary to salvation, takes away from the cross, doesn't it? It implies that it's not satisfactory. It's not done enough. You've got to add stuff. You've got to add rules and regulations and religion to it. That's why Paul gets so upset. It's actually the height of arrogance. Paul says, I don't want to set aside the grace of God as if righteousness could be gained through the Lord. If so, Christ died for nothing. First reason, Paul uses such drastic language. And the very reason we've set up the message is the glory of Christ at stake. The second reason, Paul's hot under the collar. And the second reason we set up the message is the good of men's souls is at stake. We live in a soul sick generation, don't we? How about doing something about it for him? How about sharing the gospel of grace and peace?
peace and rescue and forgiveness and repentance that brings life. How about sharing that gospel? You see, Paul cared deeply for the souls of men. He could even make this crazy statement in Romans chapter 9, where he actually said, For I could wish myself cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. If he could see more people saved, especially more people from the people of Israel. You see, Paul knew what Jesus said himself. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone round his neck. You know, in other words, we need to be very serious about the way we preach the gospel, don't we? And it's a fearful thing. God will help us if we're in his word and we're prayed up. God will reveal the truth to us because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit leads us into all truth. We live in an age where anything goes. Tolerance and being broad-minded to others' ideas, no matter how depraved, no matter how false, is seen as to be valued above all else, don't you think? That's the spirit of the age. But someone's got to say, no, actually, no, this is right and this is wrong. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to God except through him. And grace is the only way. We need to passionately preach the substance of the gospel, grace and peace and rescue and the source of the gospel. It's all from God. We need to be people who we will not back down from that. You know, others may back down. We're not going to. You see, the greatest service I believe we can bring the local church, and that's what we're called to. We're called to serve the local church, which, you know, of course, when you're you're as passionate and up for it as we are, that can be frustrating, but we're never going to plant a message church on our own. We're meant to serve the local church. We don't need more denominations, do we? We need the ones we've got to get truly passionate, truly fired up, preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit. But the greatest service we can bring in some ways, to the local church, is just preach a true gospel. The devil disturbs people as much by error as by evil. And whether it's Catholics who believe you've got to go to Mass and you've got to go to confession and you've got to go to arms to earn your way to God at one extreme or raving Pentecostals who lay heavy burdens about dating, about the length of your hair, about the dress code, about not listening to any music but dreadful Christian contemporary music. You know, you get in a terrible pickle, don't you? Can we listen to Justin Bieber? Because I'm sure I heard him sing a delirious song once. What about Kanye West and that Jesus Walks stuff? Can I listen to that? But you know what I'm saying? You get in a right pickle, don't you? If you try and just live by rules, it just does your head in. And you end up crushing. You can sniff it when you go in a church. Sniff it within seconds. Is this a place of freedom and grace? Not licensed to do stupid things and sin and do anything, but a place where we're free to serve. We love God and we love to please him. You don't have to tithe and give offerings into your local church to be saved. You don't even have to go to church. You don't have to pray and read your Bible. You don't even have to go out with a Christian to be saved. But you'd be really stupid not to. In light of what Jesus did for us, you'd be stupid to go against this book. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, 
It's a good thing, isn't it? Because if it was about what we did, we'd never know if we've done enough giving, would we? We'd never know if we'd done enough attending. We'd never know if we'd done enough studying or enough going. We'd always be like, have I done enough? Have I made it? I'm living under this heavy burden. You haven't done enough. He's done enough 2,000 years ago. He did enough. And so I'm saved and I'm free, free to fly, free to soar, free to live life to the full in the name of Jesus. My friend Bill Hogg told about going to this uh, Pentecostal church in Ireland. And at the door, there was a massive big box of the stiffest hats you've ever seen. And so the girls would walk in, you can have one of them, plonk. You can have one of them, plonk, you know. So all these like young girls are wearing these ridiculous old lady hats in the worship and you're like, oh, do me a favour. You know what? One of our Eden teams one time used to have baseball hats by the door. And if these scallies who like, some had met Jesus, someone on a journey, so the girls started to pray, they'd go, get your baseball hat on. How can that happen? How can that happen? You know, cutting edge, missional, fired up, and we start to make stupid rules that just burden people. You just end up in a pickle. What's the next one? And one rule always leads to another. The guy at the front loves rules and he's on a bit of an authority trip, suddenly they've always got another rule to put a, more, a heavier burden. So how about this is a rule? We love God and we love to please him. How about this for one last scripture? Because this is not, what I'm not saying is, you're free to be an idiot once you became a Christian. You, yeah, you are. Well, you are free. I'm not I'm pleading with you. Be wise. And the wise person is somebody who soars and loves life and lives right and pursues holiness because of what he did on the cross. Oh, here we go. Last verse before I pray. Romans six fifteen. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. We would only, we, we must surely sin less than those divs who were trying to do it, being the flesh and trying to learn. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit within us to make us holy, transform our way of thinking and our way of life. We've got the Holy Spirit quickly convicting us when we do off, go off track. Most of all, we've got the cross to look to. What Jesus did for us on the cross, he did it all. We're forgiven, we're free. We're going to live for eternity. And so we're obsessed with the glory of God and we're obsessed with the lost. That others will be released into this great rescue mission of grace and peace. Do you like the sound of it? Let's stand together. We haven't got Ben Jack on the front row to do his little dance. I don't know where he is, but I liked his little dance. Then, oh, he's in school. Good. Well, I pray for Ben Lord this morning, who is dancing actually, and he's on this rescue mission, and he's one of our key key preachers. I pray for Ben that the words that come out of his mouth will be life, there'll be freedom, they'll be powerful. There'll be grace and peace and rescue. I pray, Lord, that each of us will take the responsibility seriously to understand your gospel and share it boldly. And I pray, Lord, even this morning, that, yeah, by your spirit, because you love us, 
you just convict us of anything that a free person wouldn't do. A person who's been gripped by grace would never do. And you'll change us and shape us and set us on fire, Lord. On fire for this gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for men like Paul who just pass the baton on to the next generation faithfully. But we want to be men and women. We've gone from a few dozen to a couple of billion, but we just want to play our part to pass it on. We're not happy, Lord, that you're not getting the glory you deserve. We're not happy that so many are lost. So I pray, Lord, as you've entrusted us with this gospel that works and allowed us to play a part in this rescue mission called The Message, I pray, Lord, this morning, we just say, come Holy Spirit, set our hearts on fire, Lord. Yes, Jesus. I pray when people walk in this building, they'll just sniff freedom and life and the joy of the saved, even in every mundane task, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.